Good morning. This is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It is 9 a.m. Central Daylight Time. It is the 21st of June, 2019, and I believe it's the summer solstice. Uh, So enjoy the hours and hours and hours and hours of daylight that we're going to have today. Uh, Today, it is episode uh, 110 of Bitcoin And. And let's talk about a little bit about Joe Squawk. Yeah, Joe Kernan from Squawk Box apparently is now a Bitcoin god or something along those lines. Um, I'm just going to let... start off here with um, the fact that Stop and Decrypt apparently responded to um, or or didn't respond, made made a tweet holding a video uh, that has uh, Joe, uh, Joe Kernan talking to some people and correctly, uh, somehow or another, stumbles into correctly stating several things about Bitcoin that are factually true. And I'm actually kind of surprised about the, the level of insight, even though you can kind of tell in his voice that he's kind of he's he's reaching for the truth and he's bumbling towards finding it. And it's really kind of you know it's kind of interesting to watch. It's almost as if he's he's almost got it, man. Joe has almost got it, and it. I'm pretty sure that that in his own mind he's like really clear, but when he's trying to explain. This thing, he kind of, it's not that he goes off the rails, it's that you can kind of tell that there's some some serious gappage in his knowledge. So I'm going to play a a couple of clips uh, from this this thing and and then we'll uh, talk about it a little bit on the other side. Is it really a, it's not a cryptocurrency. It's it's not, this is not, this this doesn't excite me at all. Is it, is it, is it based on blockchain? At least cryptocurrencies, actually the, the, they say there's no inherent value, but they're creating inherent value from the blockchain that, that allows you to, you know, all those, those previous transactions that actually do imbue it with some type of inherent value. This is just based on the dollar. I don't understand that this is it called a cryptocurrency? Yes. It's, well, so it's it not. Is a- oh, harsh words from the Kernan man. Um, yeah. So clearly Joe is talking about Libra coin um, and that it's not actually a cryptocurrency, but embedded in that is the fact that he's, he's almost latched on to this, this notion that this chain of blocks somehow or another has this inherent value and you know kudos to joe man because he he's either done enough research to stumble into the preliminary idea of of what this stuff means or you know he's talked to enough people that that have you know told him kind of what's going on but you can kind of tell in his voice you can kind of tell in his voice that um 
he's he's getting it. And if he falls down the rabbit hole, we may just poach this dude. I don't know, man. It's going to be interesting to watch Joe because he go he actually goes on and then he he basically slams fiat currencies. So let me let me play that one. Based on either the dollar or basket of currencies, which also made me laugh because the, the you know the criticism of the crypto that it's based on something that has no inherent value. So this is based on a, a paper currency, which though it does have value because it's got the full faith and credit of the U.S. government, et cetera. But you could almost argue that that a real Bitcoin has more value generated through blockchain, really, than just I don't know what what European currency. Do you want the euro with Draghi as easy as he is? They're all debasing their currency. They don't have any value either. Again. The rebuke from the Joe man, and he and it's a pretty solid rebuke, except for the capitulation to the full faith and credit line. That one, I'm like, I roll my eyes at because I'm like, you got trillions in debt and full faith and maybe full faith in debt of the United States government, but dude, no, 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 no. Anyway, so now the fallout. And, and the, remember, this whole thing st- started because Stop and Decrypt include, you know, made a tweet that put this, you know, one of these videos in there. Actually, actually, both of those videos that, that I pulled the uh, the audio from. Thank you, Stop and Decrypt. I appreciate that. Um, in either in either event, in I, I'm sorry, in either event, um, Stop and Decrypt had basically included, you know, he either in, I can't remember he either included Joe's ha- uh, uh, at. Uh, thing for Twitter or his handle Twitter or Twitter handle or somebody else did. Anyway, Joe picked it back up and like, and, and tweeted out exactly, you know, or retweeted stop and decrypts uh, message or, or tweet. And all of a sudden, man, it's just like the whole, a, wa- a waterfall of love apparently started coming to Joe. So here's, here's his reaction. Apparently like the day after, or some, or maybe hours at late later that night, or like the next day, or something like that. Anyway, here here's Joe kind of freaking out about it. There, I'm a Bitcoin bull. He now. doesn't decide well, which side he's taking until he hears your position, Steve. Right? No, that's it's Sorkin. Oh, with me. Remember the other day with Bitcoin? I know. All have of you, a sudden, have you seen what's what? happening on, on Twitter? I'm like a god. <laughs> <laughs> Someone sent in a, 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 what I said to Julia about how this is not. There's no. Blockchain. There's no there there. There's no blockchain, yeah. so there's no here and here. And millennials, they're like holding me up. They're going. I, I'm now like, you love them. I love them. Well, now so you sm- love millennials. They're so smart, and they, once they're just, again, you've come around you know, to my point of view. They Joe. break new the, once again. Yes. Also, well, you know, and then, I'm, I'm all these memes. You, all these memes. You don't even remember this? I'm thinking of C3PO when the Ewoks thinks he he's a god, and they start <laughs> holding him up. I'm gonna find that. This clip. person said, you know, they send these memes showing people going respect, and you're right, and people giving me thumbs up and all that. And I went back and looked, and I said, wait a minute, was I right about this? <laughs> and they're saying, yeah. And I'm like, awesome, because it was like, you know, it was. Am I right though, Santoli? If you if you all put in matters, a dollar, if you like millennials now, that's great. We're on board. If you put in a dollar. And then your stupid, uh, your digital currency is worth a dollar. That's not a cryptocurrency. Right. I'm telling you, man, Joe almost gets it. He, he's, he's, on, he's on the event horizon of the rabbit hole. And God help Joe if he actually breaches, <laughs> breaches the uh, event horizon of that thing. All right. So there, there's, there's Joe Kernan, uh, you know, almost down the rabbit hole. Uh, next up in the stack is Lightning Labs mobile app gets 2,000 downloads 
in 24 hours. This is Lee Kuhn writing June the 20th, 2019 out of Coindesk. San Francisco-based Lightning Labs focused on a layered scaling solution for Bitcoin released its first mobile app on Wednesday. According to Lightning Labs application developer Tankard Hayes, roughly 2,000 users downloaded the app across both iOS and Android. Both his inbox and the inbox of his colleague, developer Valentine Wallace, were flooded with support requests. Quote, we got a ton of feedback, Wallace told Coindesk. The Bitcoin wallet is a non-custodial way, meaning users hold the keys of their assets, to send nearly instant payments worth less than roughly $1,500. The, the startup put a cap on transaction amounts, one-sixth of a Bitcoin, while working out the kinks. For now, the app's autopilot setting relies on the startup's in-house cluster with three full nodes and is mostly useful for sending Bitcoin. Users can only receive as much money as they've sent with the app. However, more tax-heavy users are able to use a manual function for setting up their own payment channels and connecting to their own nodes. Hayes said there are plans to reduce reliance on Lightning Labs as soon as Bitcoin Core updates to the Neutrino protocol, which allows the app to tap into an external node that would otherwise be too, quote, heavy for a mobile device. The next step on the developer's roadmap is enabling users to easily receive payments with a process called Lightning Loops. This app launch, <clears throat> sorry, this app launch also kicked off the startup's first monetization strategy. Looking forward, Hayes said Lightning Labs will offer a monetized service for merchants and other power users that frequently receive funds. Quote, it's a non-custodial, we don't hold their funds. But it is a paid service because it requires us to use funds for liquidity and to allow that on the back end. I, set, I like the Amazon Web Services analogy because it allows the other startups to focus on their business logic while Amazon takes on the infrastructure. Stepping back, the Lightning Labs team is also working closely with Jack Dorsey's fintech startup, Square. Dorsey, who is an investor in Lightning Labs, said in February that Lightning-enabled features were eventually coming to Cash App. Oh, nice. Yet, as Wallace pointed out, this app service is distinct is a distinct function compared to Dorsey's app. Quote, it makes a lot of sense for our values as a company to have a wallet that's totally under our control. <clears throat> she added, she, oh, sorry, she said, adding the Cash App Bitcoin feature is primarily a custodial conduit for purchasing Bitcoin. Speaking broadly to how this new app, which admittedly has a long way to go until it can easily send and receive diverse Bitcoin transaction types, plays into the startup's long-term plans, Hayes said, quote, our strategy is to become an infrastructure provider that other apps and merchants can integrate. So there you go, man. Uh, and, you know, 2,000 downloads in 24 hours is pretty impressive. And like a dipshit, I tweeted out this morning when I was setting up for the show that it was 200,000. Disregard that. That's like fat fingers. And uh, I want to thank uh, 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 Ride the Lightning to who corrected me almost immediately so that I could send out a, a, a an erratum on that. 2,000, not 200,000, although that would be really cool if by the end of the day it ended up being 200,000. Moving on, uh, Quadriga CX... Uh, garbage uh, dumpster fire gets even hotter. This is Bitcoin uh, Magazine and Colin Harper writing as of June 20th. Latest report on Quadriga CX confirms fears of mass fraud. No, really? You think? 
Gee, who would have even freaking guessed? Ernst & Young released its fifth monitor report yesterday. And the meaty document offers the clearest and most damning look into Quadriga's U- CX's U- opaque business practices to date. The latest findings estimate that missing funds total two, uh, sorry, $214.6 million Canadian dollars, of which Ernst & Young has been able to secure roughly $33 million. It also reveals that Cotton was using fake accounts to trade non-existent funds with real users and that he cycled the cryptocurrency from these trades to other exchanges. Quadriga CX announced its insolvency at the beginning of 2019 following the sudden death of its CEO, Gerald Cotton. Jennifer Robertson, Cotton's widow, hastily filed for creditor protections in Nova Scotia. As legal proceedings under these protections ensued and suspicions mounted, Michael Wood graduated the case to bankruptcy proceedings. Formerly acting as court monitor for the case, Ernst & Young first report at, or, uh, Ernst & Young's first report as trustee in bankruptcy paints a bleak picture. Specifically, it confirms long-standing fears that the now defunct exchange was running a multi-million dollar fraudulent enterprise. Its ringleader, the late Gerald Cotton, kept little to no accounting records, commingled client and business funds, made luxury purchases with client deposits, created fake accounts on Quadriga CX, which were funded with fake fiat and crypto balances, and used these alias accounts to trade with real users, withdrawing the cryptocurrency from these trades to other exchanges. On these competitor exchanges, Cotton either gambled client funds on margin trades, losing millions of dollars worth of cryptocurrency in the process, or liquidated these funds into cash. At its peak, Quadriga CX was the largest exchange in Canada, boasting roughly 360,000 accounts with millions of annual trades. Despite its success and size, though, Quadriga CX's accounting records were sparse to non-existent. Quote, Quadriga appears not to have maintained a general ledger or traditional accounting record since at least 2016, Ernst and Young writes in the report. The Quadriga CX platform lacked critical infrastructure and design to analyze revenue and profitability. It also failed to keep a ledger of segregated user and business funds, keep tabs on third-party payment processors, and where they were holding customer funds to track the flow of fiat-slash-crypto funds. In order to make sense of the patchwork in ways of ways in which Quadriga CX shuffled funds, Ernst & Young followed what few threads it could trace from encrypted messaging conversations, emails, blockchain analysis, and the deposit withdrawal history of individual user accounts. Quadriga CX used some nine payment processors to handle fiat deposits and withdrawals in lieu of formal banking relationships. Jeez, for heaven's sake. It struck up these slipshod relationships, often without any formal written agreement in place, a reckless practice we've seen from Bitfinex in its own recent troubles with crypto capital. The exchange accrued massive expenses, expenses at the hands of these processors services quadriga cx sunk some 11.8 million dollars in service fees into two of them alone from 2017 to 2018 playing fast and loose with fund accountability quadriga cx fumbled with an unwieldy hodgepodge of payment processing techniques to stay apace with crypto markets explosive growth in 2017 quote the monitor estimates that more than 40 financial accounts have been used by or on behalf of Quadriga CX since its inception, Ernst & Young reports. In addition to the payment processor accounts, the exchange handled user deposits and withdrawals through unconventional means, including Jennifer Robertson's real estate company and physical cash mailing and pickup. Man. 
These cash deposits were never recorded as hitting bank accounts controlled by Quadriga CX's principals or its payment processors. Ernst & Young also found that, quote, Mr. Cotton did not file per- personal tax returns for 2014, 2015, or 2017. Mr. Cotton did file personal tax returns in 2014 and 16. However, no Quadriga income was claimed in these years. Cotton may have kept no books on Quadriga CX's business, but the exchange did keep confirmation records for deposits and withdrawals. And of course, various blockchains have verifiable proof of the movement of funds to and from the exchange's wallets. According to the report, Cotton used a handful of dummy accounts on Quadriga CX to falsify trades on the platform. One of these sock puppet accounts registered with a pseudonym Chris Marquet accounted for 95% of all this fake activity and the money he was playing with didn't exist. Quote, the Chris Marquet account reports, reported fiat deposits exceeding $220 million and significant cryptocurrency deposits including 34,806 Bitcoin and 540,000 Ether onto the platform between 2016 and 2018. Reported fiat deposits included a single $100 million deposit in June 2017, end quote, Ernst & Young writes. The remaining deposit values appear to have no supporting documentation associated with it to date. The monitor has been able to independently verify the deposits through blockchain analysis or review of TPP account statements accessed to date. As a result, the monitor notes that it is likely that these deposits are not represented by actual fiat or cryptocurrency. Nonetheless, these unsupported deposits were used to trade with users who deposited real funds into the exchange. Man. Alias accounts like Marque conducted some 300,000 trades on the platform and traded the cryptocurrency accrued from these trades to external exchange accounts controlled by Cotton, one of Cotton's personal wallets and wallet addresses whose owners are unknown. On these other exchanges, Cotton took this house money and either gambled with it or liquidated it. Between 2016 and 2019, Cotton and or another person with access to Quadriga CX's wallets transferred 9,500 Bitcoin, 387 Ether, and 239,000 Litecoin to three undisclosed exchanges. Most of these coins were converted to other cryptocurrencies, usually Bitcoin. Well, of course. One of these exchanges informed Ernst & Young Cotton had set up margin accounts to long short multiple uh, currencies, including Dash, OMG, ZEC, and Doge. <laughs> I'm sorry. That's kind of that's silly. Uh, more often than not, Cotton's trades were wrecked. <laughs> and the exchange in question, quote, liquidated a significant portion of the cryptocurrency in the account to s- satisfy the margin shortfall, thereby reducing the net inventory of cryptocurrency available to be returned to Quadriga, end quote. As for the rest, Cotton liquidated 21,500 Bitcoin to another unnamed exchange for $80 million CAD. There are only eight BTC left in the in this account. Most of the money pumped into Quadriga CX has gone up in smoke. Besides what was lost in margin trades sent to Cotton's or unknown wallets or liquidated, Ernst & Young believes some $12 million is hiding in assets left to Jennifer Robertson in Cotton's estate. This corroborates an old suspicion that customer funds were used to fund Cotton and Robertson's opulent lifestyles, which included lavish vacations. Specifically, Cotton and Robertson bought 16 properties in Nova Scotia, properties in British Columbia, investment securities, boat, an airplane, high-end vehicles, and gold and silver coins. Some of Robertson's cash holdings are also believed to have come from customers' deposits. 
the court has issued an asset preservation order which bars Robertson from selling these assets, something she did in the past. Ernst and Young had liaised with her about the properties and plans to seize the assets for liquidation to pay back affected Quadriga CX users. As for the rest, Ernst and Young is still in the process of shaking down all of the nine payment processors Quadriga CX used for business. So far, it has received $32 million in fiat while recovering $1 million in various cryptocurrencies from hot wallets and third-party exchange accounts associated with cotton. This is about a seventh of the $214.6 million CAD. Uh, that the exchange owes 76,000 users, quote, the platform does not report and Quadriga does not track where these funds, if they do exist, were to have been physically or in the case of cryptocurrency, digitally maintained, Ernst & Young reports. Additionally, the exchange's cold wallets, which Robertson formerly reported, were inaccessible and housed the bulk of the owned funds, has not been used since April 2018, other than to fund and receive Bitcoin with a competitor exchange, and these wallet holdings prior to April 8, 2018 were inconsequential in relation to total user deposits. So, yeah, man, it's as, it's as bad as we had previously thought, and I don't know. I, I just don't. I, I don't know, man. The whole thing is just loopy. And it also demonstrates the dangers of uh, keeping your your uh, feet or God any of your money on exchanges. Don't do it. I mean, keep your own keys. If you don't keep your own keys, you're not keeping your own Bitcoin. So that's all that can be said about that. Uh, oh, and okay. Also, in in uh, some related stupid business news, Bloomberg is reporting that Bitmain revives IPO plan as Bitcoin hits one year high. That's right. Bitmain is going to try to IPO again, but this time <laughs> it's not where you think. This is by Crystal Say or C-T-S-E. I, I never can't pronounce that. This is, I think, a, a Chinese name. And Manuel Biagori. Bitmain Technologies, LTD, the world's biggest producer of cryptocurrency mining chips, is reviving plans for an initial public offering as Bitcoin climbs to a one-year high, people with knowledge of the matter said. The company is working with advisors on preparations for a U.S. share sale that could take place as soon as the second half of this year, the people said. Bitmain aims to file listing documents with the United States Security and Exchange Commission as soon as next month, the people said, asking not to be identified because the information is private. Bitmain, which was valued at about $15 billion in a private funding round last year, is considering reducing its earlier fundraising target due to the increased volatility of cryptocurrency prices, according to one of the people. It could raise about $300 million to $500 million from the U.S. share sale, though it hasn't finalized the amount it wants to seek, the people said. The, blue, the company was previously pursuing a Hong Kong IPO of as much as $3 billion, Bloomberg News has reported. Bitmain's listing application lapsed in March. Some smaller rival, Canan Incorporated, is also considering selling shares in the U.S. after dropping plans for a Hong Kong IPO, people with knowledge of the matter have said. Another chipmaker, eBang, International Holdings Incorporated, this week lit its Hong Kong listing application lapse for a second time. Potential IPOs by Bitcoin-related firms have spurred debate in Hong Kong, which has sought to attract more high-growth technology companies to its market while still pre preserving protections for the city's legion of retail investors. 
Hong Kong Stock Exchange and regulators consider IPOs by cryptocurrency companies to be, quote, premature, the South China Morning Post newspaper reported in December, citing unidentified people. Bitmain is preparing the share sale as the price of Bitcoin surged past $9,700 on Friday to the highest levels since March 2018. The digital currency has jumped more than 160% this year, and the Bloomberg Galaxy Crypto Index, which tracks some of the largest cryptocurrencies, has doubled. At the same time, the space is gaining acceptance from mainstream institution. Facebook has announced that it will launch its own cryptocurrency, which it's not. Libra, firms like E-Trade, Financial Corporation, and Fidelity Investments are also planning new crypto trading services, Bloomberg News has reported. Deliberations about an IPO of Bitmain are at an early stage, and details of the offering could change, the people said. A representative for Bitmain declined comment, of course. Uh, yeah, so they, they failed miserably doing this crap in Hong Kong, so now they're going to come over and fleece U.S. investors, and I, I don't know, man. We'll see, we'll see how that one goes, but I, I think it's just the death throes of, of a once mighty creature in the space. Um, that, that's what it looks like to me. Um, Bitcoin Magazine's Landon Manning, uh, writing on June 20th, says, Block Geeks partners with BitBuy to help new users buy Bitcoin. Block Geeks, I'm sorry, this is me. Block Geeks is a really unfortunate name considering Calvin Ayer's uh, Coin Geek thing, but whatever, let's get into this thing. BitGeeks, an online platform dedicated to blockchain education worldwide, has partnered with cryptocurrency platform BitBuy to allow its users to buy Bitcoin and other crypto assets directly from the BlockGeeks site. Quote, the partnership has been in the works since early 19, or 19, 2019, BitBuy Vice President Dean Skura told Bitcoin Magazine. Quote, we have gotten to know the team from BlockGeek in the past year as we are both Toronto-based. BitBuy identified an opportunity for BlockGeeks to offer a simple service for their international audience. End quote. Amir Rosik, BlockGeek's co-founder, told us that most people underestimate how long things will take. You think one month, but it ends up taking three months. The biggest hurdle was finding a payment processor that could facilitate the partnership and be compliant with the international offering, Secura said. He added that payment processor Simplex was able both to offer this and support multiple fiat and digital currencies. BlockGeek's site already has acquired a large user base of people just looking to get interested in cryptocurrencies, so it will provide the front end of interaction for the new platform, Rosic claimed that a large user base of ours kept asking for options since we have users globally and that BlockGeeks wanted to make a simple, easy way for them to purchase crypto natively on BlockGeeks. Secura added, We thought it would be a natural fit to offer a simple buying service to those individuals who have come to BlockGeeks looking to enter the cryptocurrency market. With BlockGeeks offering the main platform, Scura confirmed that any customer support request for this service will come directly to the BitBuy support team who will be answering questions and assisting customers who will be using the service. He added that BlockGeeks will handle marketing the service to its audience as well as overseeing front-end user experience. <coughs> The initial release of this platform will allow BlockGeeks users to purchase Bitcoin, Bitcoin Cash, Ether, and Litecoin by credit card using Euros and USD. Considering BlockGeeks' international reach, it was determined we would launch this offering with two of the world's most far-reaching currencies and build from there, said Skura. 
Considering that both of these companies are based in Toronto, however, Rosic can also confirmed that there are plans in the works to offer Canadian dollar transactions in the future, as well as the British pound. BlockGeeks is also working on additional crypto asset availability. So there's that one. It's, you know, I, uh, hey, whatever, adoption. Adoption is all I care about. Uh, Jimmy Aki is also writing for Bitcoin Magazine and on June 19th writes, Crypto Point of Sale Services provides relief to Venezuelan refugees. Refugees migrating from Venezuela to Colombia, and we'll get into Colombia a little bit later, this is me talking, can now use cryptocurrencies to make purchases across the border. Panda Group, the operators of Colombian platform Panda Exchange, has created a new service that aims to alleviate some of the issues that Venezuelan refugees deal with as they pass through the border to the neighboring country. The crypto service is a point of sale shop on the border where visitors can purchase various goods using cryptocurrencies. Tipson Sanchez, co-founder and CTO of Panda Exchange, shared a tweet revealing that the new service has been launched in Santander, Colombia, serving refugees crossing the Simón Bolivar International Bridge. As it stands, users can walk up to the shop and purchase goods in the physical store using Bitcoin, Bcash, and DAI. Good God. The service makes the, uh, the appropriate currency conversions and the shop is paid in Colombian pesos. Customers can also purchase Bitcoin at the store. The store uses the prevailing pesos to Bitcoin conversion rate on local Bitcoins. Exchanging Bitcoin through the service in- incurs 10% fees for buyers and 5% fees for sellers. While cryptocurrencies are mainly seen as stores of value in developed countries in Venezuela, where its national currency, the Bolivar, is experiencing dramatic inflation, Bitcoin in particular has come to function as a practical means of payment. Demonstrating the crisis back in February, popular artist Crypto Graffiti teamed up with the Airdrop Venezuela campaign. He auctioned off a portrait of Nicolas Maduro, the autocratic leader of Venezuela, constructed with 1,000 Bolivars. For each crypto donated to the cause, a bolivar from the portrait was torn off. Oh, wow. The piece-by-piece dismantling of the bolivars by those choosing to donate crypto is meant to represent a new beginning made possible by a new form of money not controlled by any one authority, Crypto Graffiti told Bitcoin Magazine. Quote, there is also symbolism in how these donations have the ability to come from outside a region known for heavy, heavily regulated currency controls. So again, man, adoption, it's nice. Uh, I'm sad that die is even considered in this thing as much as Bcash, but Hey, you know, we're going to see a lot more garbage coming down the pipe with, um, uh, Facebook coin. So you might as well just go ahead and buckle up for another round of shit coinery. Uh, CCN, the now defunct, uh, self-proclaimed defunct magazine talking about cryptocurrencies is still churning out, uh, magazine articles. And this one is from Ryan Smith writing as of this morning, censorship goes global as Australian bank bans neo-Nazi supremacists. By CCN, oh, sorry, uh, one of Australia's biggest banks this week announced they will be closing down the account of far-right activist Blair Cottrell on the 25th of July. Described by several media groups as a neo-Nazi, Cottrell posted proof of the closure via his Gab account. Westpac has given Cottrell a few weeks' notice to file an extension. 
Westpac dodged the issue by not giving Cottrell any reason for the shutdown, presumably on the basis of keeping his own political nose clean. The decision has not skirted the Twitterati, however, as the debate over corporate censorship continues. One tweet proclaimed, Welcome to Australia's communist banking system. Meanwhile, Cottrell himself expressed a similar view in a gab post. Quote, lol, world communism in effect. They're closing my bank accounts now, too, and won't even tell me why. End quote. That didn't stop him from speculating, though. Quote, but we already know why, don't we? It's because I know the truth about the international ethnic genocide of white people. I know why they're pushing your kids to be gay and transgender. I know the real purpose of feminism. I just know too much, end quote. Blair Cottrell is a founding member of Australia's United Patriots Front and the Lad Society, two two right-wing parties that reporters love to bash on a regular basis. His extremist views have all but banished his digital identity thanks to social media deplatforming by Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. PayPal followed suit, causing some groups to celebrate the fact that he could no longer bankroll his so-called hateful agenda. Despite the widespread corporate blackout, mainstream media has ironically backed Cottrell into a corner of the internet where more of his kind can be found. Gab is an alternative social media platform that champions itself for free speech. Its user base is largely far-right, that's not true, and now play, uh, plays home to other high-profile bannings like Alex Jones, who was given the boot by Facebook earlier this year. While Gab does indeed provide a platform for anybody to say anything, it's not infallible. Just exactly where do you draw the line on free speech? <laughs> In my opinion, you don't. Despite its claims, poking through several of Gab's feeds, comments, reveals a heavy amount of hate speech. Oh, Jesus, these people at CNN or CCN are just bonkers. The closure of Cottrell's bank account is wor- a worrying sign of the times. Banks are an essential part of modern-day living. You may not agree with somebody else's views, but you do have the right to take away their ability to pay the bills. Surely, even extremists have a right to feed their families. Well, they're getting that right. The current trend of political-based financial censorship sets a dangerous precedent for who should or shouldn't be included in the global financial system. Who, after all, gets to police that kind of power? Thankfully, Bitcoin doesn't care. And then they reference a tweet at the end from Whale Panda. Reminder, Bitcoin doesn't care about your feelings. It also doesn't care about your gender, ethnicity, sexual preference, or religion. Bitcoin just is. And that was actually written back in May May the 25th of 2019. So, yeah, I mean, the punditry here is is kind of obvious, but at least they circle circle back to the truth is that it doesn't really matter because Bitcoin doesn't give a shit. I don't care who's on Gab, and I don't care what they say. If there was, in the United States Constitution Bill of Rights, an amendment that said all park benches must be painted red, by God, I would paint them all red. Be- is Would that be because I think that park benches need to be painted red? No, probably not. Uh, you know, pigment can stain clothes pretty bad in the heat. Uh, no, it would be to protect all the other amendments. Those like, oh, I don't know, the first and second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth, and tenth, and possibly the eleventh because the tenth and the eleventh are kind of kind of linked a little bit. But beyond that, I mean, there's a lot of amendments in the Constitution past the Bill of Rights that are just bullshit. Uh, it's really the, the the ones in the Bill of Rights, the the one through ten, and like I said, kind of adding eleven in there a little bit um, that really matter. 
And if the twelfth one was, you know, if one of those were, was paint all park benches red, by God, I'd paint all park benches red because if you can get rid of that one, you can get rid of the rest of them, and that's just not that's totally uncool. All right, now here is one from Fox Business. Uh, this is not directly Bitcoin related, but it uh, it should be. This is Brittany Delay. New York, California, high-tax state exodus just beginning, expert warns. The cap on state and local tax deductions has already begun to drive some residents away from high-tax states like New York and New Jersey, but experts say that trend is only going to intensify. Quote, it took a few months for taxpayers to realize the dollar implications until they actually filed their tax returns this year. In quote, Alan Goldberg, a principal at Friedman LLP, told Fox Business, Quote, it quantified the impact of the loss of the SALT deduction when people saw it in front of their eyes on their tax return, end quote. The Tax Cuts and Jobs Acts introduced a number of reforms, including the notorious $10,000 cap on state and local tax deductions, which has caused Americans to look into establishing legal primary residences in states where they can limit their liabilities. Since the implementation of the law, Goldberg said he has certainly had some clients relocate. Hmm, yeah figured. Typically, these are individuals that have second homes in state with a more favorable tax climate like Florida, along with wealthy people and individuals whose jobs do not require them to be tied to specific locations. The latter category can include people in the service industry or consultants. States that some Americans have already began leaving for are Florida, Texas, Nevada, all three of which have no individual income tax. Goldenberg expects to see more and more taxpayers looking to move in the wake of this year's tax season, which remains ongoing for those who filed for a six-month extension. Some businesses, too, are looking to move. Those that have other locations in places like Dallas and Houston can more easily relocate, Goldberg, Goldenberg said. But it is difficult for a large company with hundreds of employees to shift its main operations elsewhere. Some <clears throat> higher tax states like New York have looked into workarounds in order to limit the impact and stem the potential revenue loss. However, the Treasury Department officially squashed one of the more popular opinions last week, which could also contribute to out-migration. As previously reported by Fox Business, while Florida receives more movers than any other state last year, New York's outflows to the Sunshine State were the highest, 63,700 people. New York had the third largest outflows of any state with 452,580 people moving out within the past year. California, another high-tax state, had the largest outflow of domestic residents with the highest proportion of people headed to Texas, Arizona, and Washington. So, wow, there you go, man. Um, now, uh, let's look at this next one here. This is Australia's bank, Australia's central bank. It's difficult to imagine mass adoption of Bitcoin. Now, this is another one from the defunct, self-proclaimed defunct magazine CCN, but apparently they're still writing. As of this morning, P.H. Medor writes, After 10 years, the Reserve Bank of Australia has decided that Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies don't pose the threat to Aussie dollars or other forms of fiat payment. The RBA concludes... After reviewing everything it knows about cryptocurrency, <laughs> that it's, quote, difficult to envisage an outbreak of Bitcoin users in the down under like it's a virus, and it is. There will be an outbreak. Oh, God. Okay, so it's on cryptocurrency to be more attractive and useful than traditional payment methods. 
People will prefer the easier, more familiar world of debt-based crypt- or currency until this is the case. To maintain the status quo, RBA says rulers need only worry about keeping the fundamentals of the Australian dollar in place. Let me read that one again. To maintain the status quo, RBA says rulers need only worry about keeping the fundamentals of the Australian dollar in place. My God, it's naked. This is just naked bullshit. Quote, as long as the Australian dollar continues to provide a reliable low inflation store of value and the payments industry continues to work on the efficiency, functionality, and resilience of the Australian payment system, it is difficult to envisage cryptocurrencies presenting a compelling proposition that would lead to their widespread use in Australia, end quote. The article published on the RBA's website Thursday begins with the assumptions that cryptos will struggle to achieve mass adoption. It studies why Bitcoin is unlikely to become a ubiquitous payment method in Australia. Mass adoption is a broad term not used much in the article. Instead, they refer to widespread usage. Bitcoin mass adoption may not appear in the form of massive transaction activity. It may be safer to measure the adoption rate of Bitcoin by the number of people holding it. For RBA, though, the focus is on why people decide which money they're going to spend. Do cryptocurrencies have the properties necessary to displace displace fiat currencies? The bank thinks not. Lacking prejudice, the bank gives a simplistic portrait of Satoshi Nakamoto that Bitcoin is digital cash rather, rather than digital gold. Quote, as identified by Nakamoto, the purpose of Bitcoin was to act as a peer-to-peer payment mechanism. In practice, its use for this function has been limited. However, it, is seen, it has seen significant use as a vehicle for speculation. This was particularly the case in late 2017, where there, are very considerable, where there was a very considerable increase in the price of Bitcoin, along with most other cryptocurrencies. Following the speculative, speculative episode, prices fell dramatically. Yeah, we know, we know. God, we know the freaking story, and it wasn't the only time that shit had happened. There's been like 13 of these things. If you actually go back into the charts and look, this is this is an old story. I'm sorry, guys. It's, if you're just waking up to and your your first and only reaction is 2017, then you are in danger. You are in serious danger of being left behind. So whatever. Continuing on. From there, RBA talks about monetary uh, properties and concludes that while Bitcoin has innovated, so has fiat. No, it hasn't. If innovation is freaking debt, then yeah. Whether decentralized technology takes off in Australia depends on a number of factors. For one thing, the volatility of value across cryptos makes it difficult for merchants and consumers to use. Quote, as discussed above, the price volatility of cryptocurrencies such as Bitcoin is likely to have inhibited their use as a payment method. That is a means of exchange. If it, is a, if it is difficult or impossible for merchants and consumers to know what a cryptocurrency will be worth from one moment to the next, then it will be unattractive for most parties to price or buy goods and services in that cryptocurrency and accept payment in that cryptocurrency. Similarly, high-priced volatility makes cryptocurrencies a poor store of value. <laughs> Not for me. Shit, man. RBA systemically uh, breaks... <clears throat> sorry. RBA systematically breaks down the perceived benefits of cryptocurrency and points out how they are either overstated, overrated, or not aligned with reality. Censorship resistance, for example, is impacted by a world full of regulators and governments. It, quote, raises challenges for regulatory authorities, end quote. RBA agrees with large swaths of the crypto community as to what the two main problems for crypto are, scaling, volatility, and ease of use. That's three problems, guys. 
guy, whatever. While several initiatives, including the FIO protocol and the stablecoin movement, are in progress, it would be dishonest to say these issues are well in hand. On the subject of stablecoins, RBA says, quote, even if the concerns about the credibility of stablecoin issuers and their coins are resolved, it is not clear that there would be a material demand, at least for legitimate purposes, to pay with or accept stablecoins over conventional payment methods linked to deposit accounts at commercial banks. Yeah, legitimate purposes. They got to bring ring the bell of assassination markets and the fact that people buy drugs. Whatever, man. The global consensus on cryptocurrency is finally developing. Governments, including Russia, the United States, China, and Australia, are finally getting around to creating regulatory frameworks too late. Sorry, that's me. On crypto, Australia has been more more vocal than other world governments, even sending taxpayers a friendly reminder to include their, include their crypto on their taxes. Australia has a unique role in cryptocurrency. Bitcoin core contributor Gavin Andreessen was born there as Gavin Bell. I didn't realize he changed his last name. <laughs> wow. Okay, so Gavin Andreessen changed his name. Huh, interesting. More importantly, the the Australian tax office helped bring Craig Wright to the public eye. Uh, as CEO of Hotwire PE, Wright attempted to establish the world's first Bitcoin-based bank, but encountered too many problems with the Aussie tax office. The next year, following reports from Wired and Gizmodo, the Australian government raided two of Craig Wright's business locations, raising headlines and beginning the saga of Wright versus Bitcoin Core. <laughs> Just... Oh, oh, it's so stupid. Oh, okay. CCN. Some things you get right and other things you just, ah, oh, you just don't. Oh, well, this is good news. Writing, even though it's Coindesk, writing out of Coindesk, Daniel Kuhn says, Bitcoin ATMs go live at 20 Circle K convenience stores. <laughs> things are afoot at the Circle K, if you can get that reference. Digital Mint a Chicago-based over-the-counter cryptocurrency trading platform has installed Bitcoin kiosks at 20 Circle K convenience stores as part of a pilot program across Arizona and Nevada. This represents the largest expansion for the crypto platform since its founding in 2014. According to the press release, in five years, the company has established either ATM or in-person teller branches at 250 locations in 25 states. Quote, we are thrilled to be partnering, partnering with a respected organization like Circle K, said Mac, <clears throat> sorry, Mark Grin, Grins, Digital Mint's president in the release. Quote, this partnership opens the door for massive expansion of Bitcoin across the, to, uh, across, ac- oh, sorry, uh, Bitcoin access to new markets around the globe. Digital Mint ATMs let consumers buy and trade up to $20,000 in Bitcoin, Ethereum, and Litecoin per day. The company charges 12% of a transaction that, wow, that's high, though rate reductions are available according to the company's website. Partnering with Digital Mint allows us to provide our customers with seamless access to Bitcoin at a very reasonable price, end quote, said Joel Kaniki, category manager at Circle K Stores Incorporated in the release. Purchases must be made with cash as the company does not accept debit or credit cards. Bitcoin can also be purchased through bank wire, but the company sets a $5,000 minimum. Approved customers can have transaction limits pushed above $1 million. <laughs> That's a lot, man. The Bitcoin ATMs in Arizona are located in Phoenix, Mesa, Temple, or sorry, Tempe, Tucson, Flagstaff, Surprise, and Maricopa. In Nevada, the ATMs can be found in Las Vegas. And that'll do it for that. So again, more adoption. Nice, nice. I like that. Um, And that will do it for your morning roundup. 
Your vital statistics brought to you by BitInfoCharts.com. Bitcoin is at a price of 9780 and it looks like the high is going to be over at Simex. Nope, Coinbase Pro at 9819 with a low over at, uh, looks like it's going to be hit BTC at 9783 so a fairly tight range there. 342,900 transactions were sent over the last 24 hours with an uh, average transactions number per hour of 14,290. 1.9 million BTC were sent in that period, and 80,421 were sent on average every hour. 5.63 BTC was the average transaction value, and the median transaction value was 0.046 BTC, or about 450 bucks US, a little high. Block times are a bit high at 10 minutes, 26 seconds, and about one BTC have been taken in fees per block, and 124 BTC have been taken in total of fees over the last 24 hours. A serious dip in hash rate, 16.32%, has sent us back down to 52.5 exahashes per second. Uh, last GitHub commit was set to the Bitcoin Core code was sometime this morning. Ethereum is 286, Litecoin is 137, Bcash is 430, BSV is 220, Ethereum Classic is 8.6, and Dogecoin is 0.0032. And damn, uh, I wish I could tell you Dogecoin's transactions over the last 24 hours was beating either one of the major shit coins, but no, it's it's not. In either event, that's going to do it for your vital statistics. I'm going to go ahead and do a Marty's Bent for you. This is from Wednesday, June the 19th, 2019, issue number 508, Perspective is Key. Uh, Yassine Elmendirka, I cannot pronounce that name, it's at Yassine Ark, says Bitcoin is pri- has priced at less than $1,000 for 73% of its lifetime. It is priced at greater than 10% for only 2.5% of its lifetime. Below, a look at Bitcoin's daily price frequency distribution. Then he's got a nice little pie and bar chart there. Let's see what Uncle Marty has to say. Here's an interesting tweet from our friend Yassine that flew down my deck yesterday. A chart displaying the frequency of price ranges by $1,000 increments. It's fascinating to see just how long Bitcoin spent under $1,000. 202 oh, sorry 2360 days or 73% of the t- of of the time that has passed since mid August 2010 which marks a few weeks after bitcoin's first official pump from $0.008 to $0.08 what a fucking pump if we go all the way back to the genesis block bitcoin has been trading below $1000 for 79% of its total life to date Alternatively, the price has only ever been above $10,000 for 112 days. Incredible perspective if you ask Uncle Marty. It's crazy to think that the mania that ensued in 2017, the face-ripping rally and crash represents less than 3% of Bitcoin's total existence up to this point. Let's pour some of that some out for the poor souls, souls who FOMO'd in during the price run-up from the end of November through the end of December and the subsequent crash below 10000 that occurred slowly through March of 2018. We are still in very early days of this revolution, freaks. If anything... 
This chart should help people realize how quickly and rapidly Bitcoin price movements can be and how ephemeral the blow-off tops are. Timing these markets is an arduous task for anyone, let alone your average retail investor who is only paying half attention to the space. That's why, if you are educated about Bitcoin, its potential, and the gravity of the technology, your best bet is dollar cost averaging in. Don't try to time lows and take advantage of the relatively low volatile periods to consistently stack stats. The price spent less than 10 days in the 13,000, 14,000, 15,000, 17, 18, 19,000, and 20,000 ranges. During those periods, people on the sidelines were taking uh, taking out second mortgages to go all in on a rally that would soon end very abruptly. Avoid the scenario and start consistently stacking sats. If you are educated about Bitcoin and think it may make may make sense to get some in case it catches on. Final thought: Night Moves put on a dope show last night. I am very happy to have seen them live. I never even heard of that band. But yes, uh, this was kind of an interesting uh, tweet from Yassin. I, you know, it's one of those things where visuals, you know, data visualization can be really important insofar as as casting the same object in completely different lights and seeing it under different colored lights or through different types of lenses adds more. You know, it, it gives you a better feel, a better sense of what the object actually is. And when I'm looking at this, I was actually kind of shocked that the numbers rolled out the, the way that they rolled out. Anyway, again, want to thank Marty for uh, writing the Marty's Bent every morning. And we'll see uh, Marty Bent the next time he writes Marty's Bent. Or maybe, or maybe not. Not not really sure. That one, that one had to be uh, had to be done because Yassine's tweet was was just awesome. <laughs> Here's Satoshi's treasure, and as I've kind of said on a couple of occasions, I'm, I'm not happy with with a couple of the last click, uh, keys that Satoshi Treasure has released because one of them kind of said you had to put your face into a video, and that was a chain of like it was, I think that was like the the I can't remember the name of the key, but they you had to chain uh, kind of like a chain mail thing for your through your clan, and everybody had to put their face on, and and many people did. And that's just a dox. So I, I I don't know what Satoshi's treasure is up to on this one. The second one was where they want you to put in your phone number so that you can get a ref link uh, so that you can like vie for a key. Uh, and this is a you know obviously a, a different type of key. This one does not piss me off. Uh, I and I don't I don't think it should, but it is different. This is but the, what was odd though is that this thing dropped. Let me see when when this thing dropped. Yeah. So this one dropped on the 19th, uh, which was a Wednesday. And if you've been following Satoshi's treasure, these keys have always been dropped on Sunday. I'm not really all that sure. Kind of like what's going on. Uh, the cult key was actually dropped on the 15th, which was a Saturday. And that was the the key before the this this global key. So I don't know if they're stepping up their uh, releases or or what. In in either event, um, the issue is with this key. Let's see if I can get it. Nope. Hold on. 
The grand, it's called the Grand. Well, this is the Grand Tour for the Global Key. And the, the clue is, while layering clues, agents of the hunt did a lot of traveling, becoming familiar with the look of various locales, will be a valuable skill for any hunters. The first letter, non-capitalized, of the name of each city in these pictures left by agents is the password you need for the global key. And there is, it looks like there, there's a, li- a whole bunch of uh, links. There's 45 links, and each one is like City 01, City 02, City 03, all the way to City 45. And let's look at the picture of City 45. And as it comes in, yeah, it's like, it's just a picture. Like this one is a picture of a road ending in an ocean. And it looks like it's going to be a probably some European city. So it, apparently the way this works is that if you can identify the cities here, um, each one of these cities, then I guess there's 45 uh, words that will make up the key that will make up the passphrase for the key that that you need to to get to have this particular key. Interesting because you don't. I mean, you can collaboratively work with your clan and just you know you don't really have to go there, but you do need to find somebody at you know in your clan that knows where this you know where whatever locale of the, that's presented by the picture actually is, and then you can construct the key from that. So even though Satoshi's treasure is kind of pissing me off because of the whole doc, you know, having to record your face and giving you want want you to give up your phone number. Um, this one is actually kind of is kind of cool. Anyway, so uh, there's Satoshi's treasure for the day. Today's daily train wreck is brought to you by Vel Friedman at Velvel Friedman. Craig Wright hasn't complied with the court's order to list his Bitcoin as of 12-31-13. He remains under an order to show cause why Judge Reinhardt shouldn't issue sanctions under R.37 and order him to appear before Judge Bloom to explain why he shouldn't be held in contempt. God, the whole, the whole thing is just... It's such a huge dumpster fire. So, and and as usual, Calvin is saying something completely different. And I guess we should talk about the Columbia deal. But before we talk about Columbia, I want to read this one from Stephen D. Pally. He's a kind of like a he's well, he's a lawyer. He's he's not my lawyer, and he certainly isn't your lawyer. But he is a lawyer, and uh, he's got a pretty good Twitter account. If you're not following him, he's he's got some really good legal insights into some of this stuff and, and tweets about it quite quite uh, frequently. This one, though, he, uh, Pally's tweeting, um, smart enough to invent Bitcoin, but not smart enough to stay in touch with someone who controls access to kajillion dollars of it. Seems like a good fodder for a closing argument. And I... I don't know exactly what he's talking about, but some other people have intimated that his, that in arguments to the court, that he's telling the court that he's lost touch with one of the people that has a critical component into being un- able to being able to unlock the tulip trust. Uh, like basically, it's like 
my dog ate my homework or I forgot the guy's phone number. I mean, it's just, it's just bizarre, but let's talk a bit about the, the whole Columbia fiasco. Apparently Craig Wright went down to Columbia for some kind of bullshit BSV conference and somehow or another was presented by the Colombian government with a certificate signed by officials in the Colombian government stating that Craig Wright is indeed Satoshi Nakamoto. And oh my God, I mean, I feel, I feel for the Colombians, but I don't feel for their, for their government, man. I mean, it's just, you know, their, their government has been corrupt for years. I mean, years, not like, not like, you know, any other government hasn't been corrupt, but I mean, come on, getting the Colombian government to say you're to give you a certificate to such as that says you're Satoshi Nakamoto sounds like it would cost about, you know, $500,000 us and they'll pro- probably do anything. My, I was talking to my wife about it last night and she said, well, hell, if that, if it's that easy, I'll just ask the Colombian government to say that I'm president of the particular university she works at because she's not really down with the president of her particular university that she works at. But anyway, so yeah, anyway, so the, the memes have, have ignited on this particular picture of him holding up this certificate along with the gangsters that are the representatives, these particular representatives of the Colombian government. And as you can imagine, it didn't take long for, you know, some, some, uh, really good guys, you know, guys that are really good at Photoshop to clearly blank out all the crap that was written on this quote unquote certificate and circulated as a, as a template. So man, I mean, let, let the memes begin and they began in earnest, I guess yesterday. And it's, some of them are just hilarious. I mean, the threads that I'm seeing are just chock full of some of some of the very best memeage that that uh crypto twitter has to offer anyway there's your smoldering pile we'll let it sit over there and smolder in the corner for the rest of the day your terrible joke corner is brought to you by christopher hudspeth at ce hudspeth who writes, I totally understand how batteries feel because I'm rarely ever included in things either. Yeah, that's a good bad joke. One of my favorite bad joke types is, is just like that, especially the shorter ones, man. The, the ones that are just the shorter, the better is all I got to say. You know, if they, if that, it's that whole uh, brevity is the soul of wit thing. In either event, that's going to do it for me. Um got all manner of stuff to do. I'm going to also be on uh, uh, Adam Meister, the Bitcoin Meister show later on today. I do believe that that will be at 1 p.m. Central Daylight Time, although uh, check Adam Meister's or at Tech Bolt. Uh, that's at Tech Bolt. Uh, check his Twitter feed, and I'm sure he's got an, announce, you know, an announcement out. In either event, it looks like I think it's going to be CK Snarks. Let me just check this for a second. It looks like it's going to be Bitcoin Tina. And 
Yeah, it looks like a CK CK Snarks is going to be on there. Yeah, CK underscore Snarks. Um, I've talked to Bitcoin Tina. I don't think I'm not live and in person. This will be my first time talking to uh, Bitcoin Tina live and in person. But I have had several DMs with him, and we've had several back and forth on on uh, Bitcoin Twitter. And I really, I've, I've always enjoyed uh, Bitcoin Tina because he's just such an unabashed Bitcoin bull. Um, and CK, CK underscore Snarks, I've, I am very well aware of, you know, his Twitter feed. Um, and so it'll be interesting to talk to both of those guys for the first time. And this will be my second time on uh, Tech Vault show. And I'm really looking forward to it. With that, I'll see you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin and... And I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.